Welcome to Where Wine Takes You, a podcast where we break it down, keep it real, no stuffy bullshit, because hey, it's just wine, and hey, it's Paso. Thank you so much for being with us, connecting here. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. Lots of great feedback on our episodes, our two-parter with Matt Trevison, Cliff from Zepetto, Lene Colotto. It was so good. Uh, you go back and listen to part one if you didn't. Uh, go back and listen to episode 24 where Matt Trevison was on the first time. Great stuff. Got a great episode coming up next week. Jason Haas and wine writer R.H. Drexel. Oh, my gosh. Jason Haas, of course, from Tablas Creek. Always a good guest. Great Paso ambassador and a great name and a great voice for the area. And R.H. Drexel, wine writer for uh, The Advocate, The Wine Independent, now at Jeb Dunnick. Does her own uh, writing with Loam Baby. She's incredible. I just love her. She lives in Paso, too. So to have all the experience in all the different wine areas, as she does, and choose here, I can't wait to talk to her about it. Jason Haas of Tablas Creek and wine writer R.H. Drexel next episode of Where Wine Takes You. Also, very exciting news within Paso Wine Country. A brand new app is available in your smartphone. Paso Wine has got a brand new app, baby. It's gorgeous, too. Looks incredible, easy to understand. It's intuitive. I love the filter options. Super cool. You could be like, I want this, that, the other. You open the app. You can explore wineries, check out upcoming events. There's a complete map of Paso. Really comprehensive menu that invites you to restaurants, lodging, tours, and transport. Uh, Some more things to explore. Experiences. You could set some notifications. Best of all, the app, as good as it is, it's completely free. It's a great resource. The filters are just incredible. So make sure you download it now. Use it to plan your next trip. You can map it out from the comfort of anywhere, the all-new Paso Wine App. But I am very excited about this conversation. We've been trying to put this one together for a while. Two distinguished guests bringing decades of experience to the table. Thrilled to sit down with John Truchard, the visionary owner behind Serial Wines, and his accomplished executive vice president of winemaking, Jeff Kandarian. John Truchard's roots run deep in the wine biz, having grown up amidst the vineyards of Napa, where his parents established their winemaking legacy back in the 70s. With his rich heritage, John's perspectives on winemaking infused with a profound understanding of the land, the vines, and the artistry that goes into each bottle. Jeff Kandarian, on the other hand, brings a diverse wealth of winemaking experience spanning across California, Oregon, Washington, and beyond. Together, they weave a fascinating narrative of passion, expertise, candid, shared commitment to crafting exceptional wines in very different categories that tell a story with every sip. But the learning doesn't end there. In this episode's Travel Paso Spotlight, we're going to invite you to a unique twist on tastings, olive oil tastings. We will shine the spotlight on Paso Livo, where the world of olive oil takes center stage in a manner reminiscent of wine tasting. Discover the nuances, the aromas, let it come alive on your palate, the flavors that make olive oil a journey worth embarking on, no doubt. With two enticing locations in Paso, one through the vineyards and one downtown, Paso Livo offers a really distinct experience that adds a delightful layer to your Paso adventure. Excited to talk to Eleanor after our conversation with Cereal Wines in our Travel Paso Spotlight. I show up downtown Paso. They're in the old McClintock Saloon building right there on Park Street. I got Georgie with me. I meet Terry, who is the manager there, and she is a fan of the podcast. She was so sweet. Told me that she listens to the podcast in the shower, which made me feel very close to her. So, Terry, if you were listening, you got a little shampoo right behind your ear. There you go. But just a great team. All the folks there were really, really sweet. I loved hanging out with them. Tasted some great wines. Let's get right into it. 
We're actually coming into the conversation. We're talking about the crazy things our dogs will do, our dogs will get into, and I'm assuring them, Georgie, he's uh, that he's very well behaved. Check it out. Give me that sound. We'll get by. We pass on round till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Chickens, the cats, the, the, cats, the It's like, so funny because get them the hell out of the house. I had a, thir- a lab for 13 and a half years that ju- that did destroy the house. She has a viral video on YouTube called Yellow Lab Opens Fridge, oh, where literally she's opening the doors of my side-by-side with the hinges. I mean, it's remarkable. So this dog, I feel like maybe I earned like karma dog points because it took me like five years to get Georgie, but he is the sweetest little soul. You could have food open right next to you. He won't touch it. He just sits in a little cinnamon roll. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> And you have yeah, such so, a nice tasting room here. I'm so th- thankful that you were open to Oh, him. yeah, we're dog-friendly. Yeah, our, our, our labs, it's like they're all good. And then we, and as soon as we leave, if we're leaving the house, we have this pantry, and they learn they can open the door. The other day, we show up, and it's like someone must have left one of the doors open. We show up in the driveway. They have their dog bed out in the driveway. There's like fucking three cereal boxes Ooh, out there. It was like a doggy <laughs> party, dude. It was like... It was, Parents are out. It, up, it, was, it felt like it felt like you're like totally like you're like in high school. Like <laughs> yeah. kids in high school, you show up, there's a party. And the dog, party. And, and like, we show up the dog, like, they put their ears back oh, and they yeah, walk yeah. and they're just like, oh, we're in Tail trouble. Down, yeah, like, dude, labs totally know. They have the worst <laughs> poker face. They oh. will, they show it. Yeah, they're just like, like you said, Ears back, oh, eyes up. They're just like, oh, my God. But the fact they like pulled their doggy bed out of the driveway. <laughs> so good. Oh, then I got to show you this video of Allie because like opening, first of all, I taught her to open like the drawer to get toys out, right? So I had a side-by-side and the freezer was a drawer. So I was wondering how she's opening the side-by-sides, how everything's open when I'm coming home. So I, I set up a GoPro. And then when I set up the GoPro, I watch what's going down. And that's when I see her going in, taking things out Dude. and then leaving it was a whole thing, so it was really funny. Dude, I love it. Cheers, guys. This oh, yeah. is so much fun. No, Cheers. Thank you. I love this. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's so hey, much Joel, fun to like buddy. meet new people, learn new people. And the stories of, of both you, Jeff and John, are just really, they're unique and they're all over the place. All over the place. John, thanks for having me, man. Glad to be here. Yeah, this is cool. So you're in town for you're in town for the must yeah. thing. Yeah, Paso Purpose. That's right. Yeah, that's a pretty cool event. It is. So do you literally just come in town to dress up, look handsome, go there, bid on some stuff, and then and then you're you're out or what? Well, for this event, yeah. But I mean, yes. we'll, we'll get here like once or twice a month. Um, nice. But for, but for this weekend, yeah, we're just when coming you, down. Eric Jensen, he he he, yeah. Got uh, us in. Oh, I know. He, has, <laughs> he got you in. I know what got you in means. <laughs> does, he, does he call you and be like, Are right, you gonna come down here? You're gonna is it? Is there like he's 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 a very persuasive individual from what I understand? Yeah, yeah. I think I think his thing is I want you to bid till it fucking hurts. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, that's how this event ends up with like two point one million exactly. after an evening. <laughs> that's right. Do you have certain things like? Do you go in there knowing? Okay, this is my cap. I don't care how much peer pressure I'm going to get. There's a lot going on around you, and this is an event where everyone wants to like like flex a little bit. Do do we have limits, or do we just be like, I'll have a couple bottles of wine and see what I'm feeling. How do we approach these yeah, these yeah. very strategic nights? It's like, I think there's like a soft limit and then yes. there's like a, 
unspoken upper limit. And that I think the upper limit is when my wife looks at me and she gives me the fucking stink eye. It's like, stop. I'm like, all right. Or you twice. Should, we should grab at least the, twice. We should grab the paddle out of my fucking hand and she throws it away. I'm like, I guess that's it. Like, you yeah, wake right. up the next morning with like two thick bruises on your ankle. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, those exactly. are the times I kicked you, honey. Oh, so yeah. funny. Well, it's, for me, obviously, most charities you have been probably endeared by just the good work that they're doing. It's, yeah. it's pretty special. It is. It's, it's very focused on Paso. And, yeah. And they, they do a great job of allocating the dollars and, mm-hmm. and really efficient. You know, it's like they're not trying to replicate what's already what's already out there. It's like right. how we raise money and then and then allocate within the community, and, which is great. But in a weird way, they're taking what's already out there and helping those people get even a better leg up. That's right. Which is really neat. You know, it's like right. almost like for existing charities, whether That's it's right. Big Brothers Big Sisters or this or that, or it's really cool. That's course. right. So it's not really in competition with those charities yeah. for raising money. It's really it's, it's very synergistic. Yeah. Well, glad to have you out here. Glad to be here. Man. We almost did this at your house. We wanted to have you down here to cereal. I like this. I like this. And I know Terry out here listens to the podcast. She was so sweet. But I do wonder what hanging at your crib would be like. I bet that would have been pretty fun. Next time, let's do it out there. Very good. We love it. Wonderful. Tell me about Jeff a little bit. Yeah, so we met Jeff in uh, 2000, like late. It was like 2014. 14. Yeah, so his first vintage was 14. And we were, at a, we were at a stage with the company where we needed to have a full-time winemaker. Up until then, we were working with... Uh, uh, consulting winemakers. Interestingly enough, on the way here, I got a text from um, our landlord, Debbie, and she's having dinner tonight with, uh, I think it's Andre Chelyshev's nephew. Or, Stop it. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, Andre Chelyshev, he, he, he was the mentor to our very first winemaker, Allison Doran. And then our, our second, and Allison was our winemaker for about five years. And then our second winemaker was the, the former winemaker at, at Rombauer, Rob. And then um, we got to a point where we were doing, gosh, your first year, we we're doing 150 plus 10,000, 160,000 cases. And we're like, okay. Because of the butter brand and stuff? Yeah, because sure. of butter. I'm like, I think we need a full-time winemaker. And so, so yeah, Jeff was uh, head and tails above everyone else and uh, even kind of nutty enough to, to join up and sign on. So uh, started working together in 2014. And, and just a great background from uh, like doing understanding production as well as understanding really small lot, high-end geeky wines. Because even though one of our core products is butter Chardonnay, we began doing small lot, high-end geeky stuff. And that we love that today. And cereal is a great example of that. I imagine. Imagine the acumen in understanding both those monsters is important. So the fact that Jeff like gets, okay, we're doing, you know, six figure cases here with butter, but look, I got this vineyard over here that we want to do some single vineyard cab or, you know, knowing both of those in a world-class way has got to be like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of them, one of them allows us to do a lot financially makes us relevant and allows me to hire someone like Jeff, but then the the small lot stuff makes it interesting. It allows, you know, Jeff to have a position here where it's compelling and exciting and interesting. And I mean, we do uh, 850 850,000 cases of butter and then we have one lot called one that we do one barrel which is it's uh, 25 cases and we sell them in three packs we do 103 packs and so we have everything from a 25 case lot to 850,000 cases why aren't we at a million cases 825 why not oh, that's, just, that's just the ones all together we, oh, we, really? did, yeah. we did more than a million say, let's, let's we're push over it up a million yeah. we're over a that's million. incredible yeah, yeah. so we're going to get to know you John and um, you come from a growing background I'm super excited to dig deep into it but um Jeff, it's great to have you here. I was actually, before we get into all the different places you've made wine and have experience, I love the conversation we had before this. But while you were at King Estate in Oregon, I was helping an old girlfriend I had 
years ago, mm-hmm. move up to Portland, and that's where I first tried King of State. It was my first try at Oregon wine. My third grade teacher, Mr. Wells, I went to school in Southern California, okay. and Mr. Wells was like the greatest teacher ever. I still talk to him to this day. He's like in his early 80s now, and he and his wife live in this geodesic dome house with all their vegetables and oh, stuff hippie. in yeah. Eugene. Yeah, They're fantastic. Yeah. And he's like, oh, you're, you're doing this wine show called The Cork Darks, yada, yada, yada. Let me take you. We're wine club members at this place called King of State. So we go over there, and we have a beautiful meal, a beautiful tasting and as i'm doing the math looking at your history i'm like oh shoot you were there then yeah, yeah. that's Two, super cool 2011 huh yeah around 2010 2011 nice, and nice. the years are yeah. fuzzy but okay. you know it was right around that time yeah yeah no definitely right in the heart of when i was there yeah yeah so tell me your story a little bit because you kind of bounced in a lot of different places you came here you met joel like in the early 2000s yeah. joel peterson yeah. of paso wine at justin so i want to talk about how how you kind of where wine took you to where it is now so i started in the central coast basically graduated Fresno State and came to the Central Coast because this is where I was always vacationing growing up. Oh, everyone I, dreams to, to live born, born in Lompoc, but raised in the San Joaquin Valley. And this is this is well, this was summertime, right? It wasn't necessarily Paso, you know. It was it was, it was, Pismo. It was Pismo. Yeah, yeah. it was going slow. Let's Luz, be real. Pismo, Pismo, and, yeah, uh, um, you'd, you'd fill up here and everything, but but so you'd you'd come to Paso, hit up the dunes. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So I couldn't wait to get out of school and work where I was always vacationing. So so I checked the box. Did did exactly that. Started working at. Uh, at Justin with a buddy from school, Kevin Sass. Uh, oh, wait. I went to high school with him. No, no way. In Agora Hills. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's my guy. So uh, that was that yeah. same time. Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah, so Sass and Ryan Horn at the Vintner's Vault and and a little bit of Branco, little little Glossner. Oh, little, little Jeff Branco. Branco. Okay. Little, little, uh, little everybody. Little Steve Glossner. Yeah, yeah. Because right he was the there. End. He was there the, from like the late 90s putting those wines yeah. on the map. Putting on the map, the 97, yeah, the 99. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were there in this kind of like all-star class of a lot of I, interesting personalities. I was in and out. I was in and out. Yeah, I can't, I'd come back. Like I, I basically worked a harvest with Joel, and then I, I came back to, to do kind of what I call seller ops, the off-season. They called back some of us. Joel stayed on as well, right? A little bit. Yeah, yeah. They called back some of us to help out. You know, Justin was a good guy, and, and I, I fell in love with the wine. I, that's when I think I first cut my teeth on 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 luxury wine when did you do when were, when were you at Eberly uh, Eberly was after that so so uh, Eberly was after Meridian as well so I spent some time here I I, I was at Justin early on then went to uh, to Meridian then from Meridian to Eberly and then from Eberly to uh, Chantevelli Partners what did you do at Eberly I was assistant winemaker yeah. oh, okay so cool. I worked with it was right when Bill was transitioning and and uh, Ben was kind of taking over it was got it. a Ben and Bill show uh-huh. um, and then and then me in the cave <laughs> right yeah <laughs> me in the cave stack and barrels if those caves could I, talk Right? Yeah. Oh gosh. Yes. That yeah, was when the, that was when yeah, they yeah. were the only caves at that point. Oh man. There now everybody's got to have caves. A lot of fun in Cachetelli. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Oh yeah. Club Ab. Yeah. You ever yeah. go swimming out there? I've seen uh, I've seen a few people swimming in that that fountain without clothes. That's yes. Right <laughs> yes. No. I'm not skinny dipping in there. It's only me and my fiance. But when no one's out there, we, and then you're like you hear a car come by, you're like, oh thank God that was a plane. Because you're right by the airport over there. You're totally. just like, oh thank God it's a plane. Yeah. Like that's my worst nightmare. It's like Chris Toronto like bringing his son swim you know to fish uh-huh. and I'm there just like you know in the buck <laughs> and I gotta get out and like figure something out like throw me my bathing suit you know yeah oh. yeah 
Yeah. So good. But so you've been in all these different yeah. places here, but then something takes you out. I was family mainly. Um, and, 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 you know, just economics to tell you the truth. It wasn't necessarily the love of Oregon Pino, uh, you know, I fell in love with Pino. Um, actually was in love with Syrah to begin with. Now I'm just in love. How with long the, did it take you to fall in love with Oregon Pino? Let's be honest. No, right? not, not too long. Really? Yeah. Not too I really, long. it had to grow on me. Oh, what do you think, John? There's still some I don't like. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's be real. There's I fell in love with it a long time ago. Really? Yeah. But I mean, was it's it in different. the beginning of your wine journey was it? it was pretty early on really yeah. you guys are so much more advanced than me i it was just so like dirty and earthy and i and i, I had to get there now i relish it i love it i love tasting these different organ pinots the world of pinot i go right there yeah. to some of those first but it took me a while yeah. So yeah. you're learning organ. Yeah. No, well, so I basically I had a bun in the oven. My wife was pregnant and we had just bought during that countrywide boom on real estate and uh, had a place in A-Town there in Atascadero. And, and it, it was, it was, um, what, I spent like 450K on it and it was officially worth like 180 now. <sighs> And oh. I'm just sitting here going, I'm straight 75, 80% of what I'm making at Chandelier Partners. I'm going, how are we going to do this? And now you're now you're pregnant, babe, too. Oh, yeah. It wasn't a planned pregnancy. No, sure. Uh, yes, yeah, so and my surprise daughter, Dylan. And, and so I started kind of, you know, getting the phone out and dialing around and seeing, seeing you what, keep the what, house or what sell opportunities the house? were out there. I had to, you know, back to back to how fun that situation was with the banks and everything. <sighs> I wanted to short sell it. They, 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 they wouldn't accept the first short sale, so I, I kept it for three years while I was in Oregon. Okay. Basically paying get, getting rent for about fifteen there you go. fifteen hundred I well mortgage was three thousand. So I'm in Oregon sure. cutting, you know, half the half the mortgage still, um, kinda just, just the renting in Oregon and, and trying to figure out how do I dump this house. I know. Got a real estate lawyer and he said, Why are you even paying for it? I'm like, oh, you're not supposed to pay for that. Like, I'm just a country. I signed on a piece of paper, said I owe three thousand a month. I, right. I just keep cutting checks for three thousand a month. You right. Know, I would have stopped Jeff three years ago. And you, oh, don't you, tell me that. That's yeah. what that's what the lawyer said. Yeah, and he said, and you probably they probably wouldn't have caught up to you till now even, and you could have been pocketing that fifteen hundred a month. I'm like, oh my god, that sounds way better. <laughs> you know, next time, ne- next time I go bankrupt, I'm going to go that route for sure. You know. Oh my uh, god. But, but so we went up there for for just you know um, prosperity. Yeah. Uh, for opportunity. And and, a, and a, again, this whole my whole wine career has just been an adventure. I, when I was up in Oregon, I just felt like I was camping. I mean, there wasn't a day I didn't feel like I was I was ready to put yeah. a sleeping bag out, you know, with the wildlife and, and just looking at it. I'm all, so all curious the with the weather up there and what you got used to. You got used to the certain weather. When we have this inclement weather in California, I mean, even before I got into loving wine and, and certainly doing a wine show or podcast, I learned that we don't drive good in Californians don't drive good in the rain. We're just complete idiots when it comes to any kind of inclement weather. Take this analogy to farming and winemaking. What are some of the things that you picked up there that maybe here you're like, okay, let's put this in perspective a little bit. Yeah. I I can tell you when I moved back from Oregon to California, I felt like I needed to call all my Oregon growers and apologize. I'll tell you that much because we really, I mean, we really made those guys work and do a lot and, and try and mitigate the, you know, the, the, the real powdery mildew issues, not, not, not the ones we talk about here. I mean, of course there's mildew issues here as well, but it was, it was, it was very difficult. 
difficult there. And, and there were, I mean, there was 11 and 10. I mean, that was almost all bird damage and botrytis. I, I mean, yeah. everywhere. We had a big frost here. You have frost there? Yeah, definitely frost as well. Frost as well. Um, just taking out whole crops, you know, effective crop. It didn't matter if you had the fans on, the helicopters, anything. It just nuked, just nuked everything. And, and it's already a late season there in a porthole, you know, season where, where, where you're trying to get too much fruit in a real small window. So when you try and have a, a vintage on seconds, you know, and thirds, you're waiting for that to push again and getting that late start. It's, it's essentially all sparkling base that you have to turn into table wine. You know, you're picking, I, I was picking 16 to 19 bricks in a couple of those bad years. Yeah. And just truckloads of sugar. Truckloads Man. of sugar. Yeah. So, John, your background was growing. I mean, like the picture literally behind you, we have a blown up picture <laughs> of a, you got to be, what, four years old there? That was, yeah, I was probably, yeah, three or four, exactly right. I mean, and you're, you're under a Cabernet sign and right by some pretty new vines that were planted maybe a year or so prior. And that's a picture of you and your mom. Uh, what year is that? This is back in the day, as they say. That, that was probably like 75. Look at that. That's yeah, so cool. I would have been three. I was born in 72. Because they bought that property in 73. They planted it in 74. So that's probably 75, yeah. And take me to that picture. Where are we? Yeah, okay. So you're, you are in uh, northern Carneros. And um, so Truchard Vineyards, uh, my mom and dad are Tony and Joanne Truchard. They bought 20 acres in 1973 in northern Carneros. And um, it is, it's, so it's on the Napa side. And it, it, their vineyard is one of the northernmost vineyards in Carneros. So they, they touch, um, there is no vineyard more north than Truchard. And so it is on this, uh, there's kind of a set of hills that separate the Carneros from the uh, Napa Valley. It's all, it's all Napa appellated. <clears throat> And so it's, uh, Dan Duckhorn once described it as the Canaris Banana Belt because it's this beautiful stretch of hills that, that all have southwestern exposure and they, have, they, they get the marine influence of Carneros, but uh, the soils are, are kind of well-drained. But my dad didn't, he didn't understand all that. He just wanted to buy some vineyard out in the, in the area where he could grow some grapes. He was a doctor by day, and he was a, kind of a farmer on nights and weekends. Did he see something in the area, or was just bit by the bug? Uh, well, he was raised on a... So uh, the grape growing actually started in my family in Texas. My great-grandfather, Jean-Marie Truchard, came over from France to start a winery in Texas in like the like 1860s, 1870s. Why didn't he keep going? Man, well, so they actually had a, they had a winery... That they, they established in 1883. They made wine through Prohibition. Prohibition kind of shut it down. And it was a Texas wine. It was They, they would just make wine for the local community. And, and so um, my, my dad was raised on that farm. My, my grandfather established it. My great-grandfather established it. My grandfather lived there. My father was born and raised there. And so he was raised in farming. And, they, and, they, and he always kind of knew there was some history of grape growing. And, and then the military moved my father out to the West Coast. Interesting story. My, they were supposed to go to South Korea for their last year of service in the military. My dad was uh, an Army doctor for a couple of years. And um, my mom went to a store in Texas, a Piggly Wiggly. She slips on a grape. She uh, has three little girls, n- uh, nine months pregnant with me. Slips on a grape, breaks her leg. Um, instead of going to South Korea, my dad asked for delays in the orders. And instead, the military sent him out to the West Coast. And while on the West Coast, kind of got re, you know, he kind of fell in love with the idea of getting involved in the wine business. And so we actually lived in Reno, Nevada from 1970, uh, like 1974 through 1986. And um, the medical opportunities there were better, so I gave my dad an opportunity to earn some uh, income. And then we went to Napa every weekend. We'd make like 50 trips a year for 12 years. And so as a kid, I learned the grape growing alongside my father. And a lot of people are like, oh, that's so cool. Your dad taught you grape growing. I'm like, it was kind of like Mr. Miyagi. I mean, it was kind of more like he taught by doing. You know, it's like yeah, Cal Poly. What do they say? Cal Poly learned, learned by, by doing. doing. It's like, was, yeah, you're going to learn yeah. by doing. You know, so I got a lot of quantity time out in the vineyard. Yeah. Learning how to like. <laughs> quantity, quantity time. Quantity time. A it's lot. So yeah. Oh, for sure. And so, yeah, so this picture was the first 20 acres. And, uh. 
And what was interesting at that time, see, there wasn't even drip, there wasn't even drip lines out there yet. And um, the pond was just put in. And this was back when like drip irrigation was not standard practice in viticulture at all. And, and it was, you basically would dry farm. And the problem with Carneros is they had clay soils. And so, you know, not unlike the east side of Paso Robles, you can't farm out there without drip irrigation. Same with Carneros. And so at that time, Carneros is horrible for, for wells because there's the Clay's not great for a well at all, but it's great for building ponds. Like, you know, think of clay cups. So you build, so you build these ponds at the bottom. And that was back in the day we could build ponds. And then you uh, would put drip irrigation out. And it was a little bit like, oh, this crazy doctor from Reno's putting this drip system out in the vineyard. It's like for your landscaping, you know? Right. And all of a sudden, what you realize, you could buy land for three or $4,000 an acre, where Up Valley was eight to 10000 an acre. But you could sell your grapes for roughly the same price then. And, and, and you're... And you're, and you're um, but your cost of acquisition was a lot less. And so they went from 20 acres in 1974, and then they continued to buy land. Between 1974 and 1986, they bought like 200 acres of property and built and then planted like 180 acres of vines. Like contiguous? Or just like- all contiguous. And today wow. they have, today my mom and dad, Tree Shard Vineyards, there's 400 acres, all contiguous, seven ponds, uh, winery, caves, a whole nine yards, and then they have um, about 280 acres planted. My dad's uh, turned 85 this year. He's still, he's still out there driving his four-wheeler around. He's wow. oversees the cruise. My younger brother Anthony works there full time, and uh, then my mom. My mom still does the books. They have to like schedule their. They have to schedule their like trips around like payroll because she's she won't, she won't give anyone else check signing authority. Did your mom slip on a table grape or a wine grape? I'm sure it was a table grape because it, it was in the house. It was a Piggly Wiggly. Yeah. It was at like oh, a it was, store. Oh, it was literally a Piggly. Oh, the, the store. Piggly the store. Okay, the right. store in Texas. Piggly Wiggly slips on a grape and breaks her leg. Yeah. Oh, so man. that got us out to the West Coast. So, so what I what I but what I didn't appreciate until now is like. The fact that we lived in Reno and went to Napa every weekend, it really, there was no buddies to hang out with. There was no soccer. There was no uh, baseball. And so I just spent time with my dad really like, just, I was really just like tagging along with him, like learning the business. And so we were talking about Andre Chelyshev earlier. I remember one day my dad was, uh, he, he was concerned about the pruning. So he had Andre Chelyshev come out. He's out there Stop smoking. It. Oh yeah, he's out there smoking his cigarette. It's just like the pictures. He's out there smoking his cigarette, talking. My dad's like, oh, and Andre's like, yeah, this is all, this is all wrong. This, you have to do this, you have to do this. My dad's like, oh no, are these plants going to die? And Andre says, oh, Tony, if bad pruning killed vines, the whole Napa Valley would be dead. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. And it's just a character. For me, it's just, some old like guy with a Russian accent, you know. But now you're like, oh man, that guy is like a yeah. god. You know? Well, yeah, I mean, but not even just in Napa, but I mean, he That's had right. influence down here, you know, and planting right. some of those HMR vineyards. And, That's right. I mean, really cool stuff. But like the fact that you're just a kid out there and he's like just chilling with your dad, smoking oh, a grid. Oh, totally. Talking about, oh my god, it was cool growing up. Like other other contemporaries of the time, uh, Joe Heights. Uh, the first three years, uh, all the grapes went to Canaris Creek Winery. Um, uh, Frank Mahoney from Canaris Creek Wine helped my dad uh, choose the initial rootstock and, and vines and and um, what varietals to plant. And then um, and then for two years we sold all of our grapes to Joe Heights. And I man, I remember just delivering grapes up to Joe and and he was I mean, he was at the at the crush pad. I remember he was upset because my dad was a doctor in Reno would come down. He wanted to pick on the weekends and Joe was all pissed off and and um, it, and, and you know they they're just passionate. They're in it. They care. Was Napa hot shit then? No, it was no, still early. It was early. It was early days. Wow. Early days, yeah, well, so sure. you were there when it 
became hot shit though. Yeah, probably. I mean, I don't know when that. I don't know when that hot shit moment was. Maybe it was like. I mean, well, I, it, it probably it probably started with the, the tasting of seventy six. That probably put it on the map. But it still didn't. It didn't feel like hot shit in Napa when you were there. It felt like yeah. it felt like country. You know, it, yeah. felt, it felt pretty rural. Probably somewhere like it's. I think mustards opened in nineteen eighty two. That was a big deal because I was like, wow, it's a nice. It's a, it's a fancy restaurant. And then it was probably somewhere maybe mid eighties, late eighties, where it really started like, wow, this is getting a little a little hoity toity. Not like it is today, but, yeah. but, but more so. When did you get? first introduced like either an idea or uh, proximity to Paso? Probably when um, so I remember in the early 80s uh, we're getting fruit from here. Uh, no but but my parents would sell a lot of grapes to Frog's Leap Winery and it was Larry Turley and John Williams. And I remember we used to, and we, I remember we they picked these half ton bins, and the trailers only could haul like they, this was before they had like flat, I mean we didn't have flatbeds, and my parents were on the weekends, and so they, they could haul up two tons at a time. Well, they're in Carneros. Frog's Leap was in Calistoga, so we'd haul two tons at a time back and forth. And so I remember, and, and Larry Turley was also a, um, a doctor before, and so I remember we'd go up there, and he and my dad would talk, and and so the first time I started understanding about Paso Robles was I think it was in like nineteen, I think it was in like nineteen ninety two ish where. Where um, Larry and John uh, split, and John Williams bought Larry Turley out of Frog's Leap, and Larry had aspirations in Paso. He may have already been down here, but I know that. But then at that point in time, Turley started getting more invested in Paso Robles, and that was really my first exposure to to Paso Robles wines and just tasting those delicious, opulent, ripe wines that he would produce. I'm like, wow, this is this is great, right? And then, and it probably was like ninety three, ninety four. A buddy of mine, Dylan McDonald, he was. Um, he was no, it's probably night till like ninety four, ninety five. He was uh, working with um, early on with Jackson family, and we were down here, and and um, and we would come down and just drive all around Paso Robles. And I remember thinking to myself, yeah, maybe maybe one day we get a place down here. This would be cool. I mean, but really? It was like, but it was like it was like I mean like I mean I I was like waiting tables on the school. You know, I mean, it was like I, it was like yeah. no, there was like no resources to do it. But, but that was like my first real like exposure with Paso. Did you? Did you drop out of law school to go back to the farm? No, that that. So my brother went to law school, but he didn't drop out. Um, so so I um, I started off uh, at University of Nevada Reno. Then I went to San Diego State for a couple of years, where my wife and I started dating. And then I it was probably like my my third year in college where I realized, okay, I really want to get involved in the wine business. And so and, and I think maybe I want to go into medicine. So I transferred up to uh, UC Davis. Um, stu- I was thinking I could study enology and the- take care of my pre-med prerequisites. And then you know, if I go to med school, great. Um, and and but I, was at the, I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And But there was definitely a moment where it was like, I was at UC Davis. Um, I, 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 did a, I did a little volunteer work at the hospital and I realized I don't want to be a doctor. Yeah. And it was had to do with like passing out the side of blood. I didn't actually pass out, but I definitely got lightheaded. I'm yeah. like, I don't think this is for me. Did you know? that disappoint your dad? No, not at all. He, didn't, he was cool with it. My, my, I think my, my, my parents were really cool. They were pretty much like, you know, follow your dreams. Like we're following our dreams. Like we're doing what we want to do. If one day some of you want to come back and work at the family, great. But but we're doing what we want to do. That's cool. And I remember, um, so then I was like, okay, I wanted to go into business, but I didn't really know what that meant. You know, I mean, what is business? Like, what do you do? And 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 so I was doing some internships, and I was like loading floppy disks, and like, it, I'm like, this is like, this is not really learning something like valuable internship. I'm like, I don't think I want to do this. And I came I came home and and Michelle and I were living in a little apartment, and I said, all right, sweetie, I know I know exactly what I want to do. I want one day to do what my mom and dad do, but I know it's going to take time and money. And I'm 21. I've got a lot of time. I got no money. 
So I'm going to start a little vineyard management business, and I'm going to take those profits, and I'm going to start leasing my own vineyards. I won't be able to buy land in Napa Valley, way too expensive, but I can probably find little small leases here and there I can, I can, I can uh, lease. And then I'll, I'll take those grapes, I'll start making wine. And Michelle's like, that's so cool. How, how long is that going to take? I'm like, that's the best part, baby. It's only going to take like 10 or 15 years. And, and she looks at me, she's like, yeah, good luck with that. I'm going to go study for my biology test. And it's, it's funny because I think she literally was kind of like, good luck with that. Like, yeah, yeah I mean, like whatever. Like she kind of almost was dismissed. <laughs> yeah, wh- yeah, whatever. Sure. And so, and so that's what I did. So in the mid-90s, I started, when I was still finishing up school, I started a little vineyard management business. It was small, man. It was like, I was like waiting tables on the weekends. And, and I, I, I remember I had, a, I had a, I had a truck. I'm like, I got to look like a duck, talk like a duck, walk like a duck. So I got a good, I got a big red. Are you hiring truck. people? Are you pruning? Are you what I would do is I would go out and I would, first I'd go out and just find work. And then I'd go to my dad's crew and say, hey, do you guys know anyone that can help me prune? And then, and then they'd say, oh yeah, I call you know, Jesus. And so then I'd yeah. get those guys out there and we'd prune a little bit. And, and, um, and then uh, after, after that, um, one of my first clients said, hey, um, I, I'm not making any money farming this vineyard. Would you want to lease it? I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll lease it. And, and it was totally like ready, fire, aim. I mean, it was like, she can't make money. How am I supposed to make money paying her 6000 bucks a year? You know? Right. Just, it, but, 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 but what happens is like you put yourself in a situation where it's like, okay, so I have my little – it wasn't even a vineyard management business. It was like three guys. You know what I mean? It was like three guys sure. and me. It's called a vineyard business. I hear a lot of people starting this way, though. Yeah, it's super organic. Like, this is a Lucas Pope, you know, Haleotide, and of course, you know him from Halter ranch or i mean from but i mean like a lot of people there's other names that have started in this way unique oh man and so i i, I um and then my client says okay well i'll, I'll say yeah i'll lease your property for you and then she's like oh and i, I have this tractor this kubota do you, uh, do you want to buy it i'm like yeah of course i need a tractor so then I, I sit down i start doing the math i'm like okay she couldn't make money she owned the tractor and she'd have to pay herself six thousand bucks a year now i have a 227 dollar a month tractor payment <laughs> i got it i get now i'm motivated now, now i'm really knocking on doors and so, right but it was yes yeah, so that's where it started so then i would pick up another client and, and I would just go, I'd drive them down the valley and be like oh there's a field that needs to be mowed and we would do anything we would chop brush we would shred brush we'd lay gravel we would I, mean, I would just hustle I mean so even more than you're like a landscaping company too yeah I mean, I mean, you were doing primarily vineyards but I mean it was like but I mean, you were willing to like really make a vineyard I'll do anything to it oh yeah 100% if people need gravel oh, I, do, I can rent I can rent a, I can rent a compactor I don't know, how hard is that you just drive back and forth yeah right <laughs> no I'll do that so when does this start to take off when does this start to become I don't know something? that never really I mean it's we, we, have, we still have that business it's great we actually so, so uh, like probably the mid '90s, we started the vineyard management business, and then it, it, it was just it would it would add like 15, 20 acres a year, and it was just a very slow roll. And then uh, we started leasing our own vineyards in like '98. That first one was I mentioned my mom's friend, and then um, started making wine in 2003. Uh, Allison Dorn, as I mentioned earlier, was our first winemaker. Her mentor was Andre Chelyshev. And uh, I hired Allison for three reasons. One is um, I could afford her. It was like if for, if for every like thousand cases of wine you'd make, it would be a thousand dollars a month. And I'm like, oh, that works. I'm gonna make my first year. I'm making a thousand cases. So I can pay you a thousand dollars a month. That works. And uh, she worked with. Uh, she was trained by Andre Chalashev, so she had like that that pedigree and kind of old school classic winemaking. And then she worked with uh, Randy Lewis for a couple of years, making kind of what I would call like the new world sexy wines. And we really want our wines to be more than New World wines. And so we started making wine in 2003 with John Anthony. And then, um, and, and then we released our wines in 2006. 
And, and right, off, right off the bat, when we released the wines, with, this is for John Anthony in Napa Valley. We started off with the Syrah Cabernet and then added Sauvignon Blanc in 2005. And we started selling wines in 2006. And we got some really nice reviews right off the bat. Their Cabernet, the first year, was one of the top 25 Cabernets in California by James Lobby. They had a feature article on the on, uh, Sauvignon Blancs and the Spectator. And they had uh, Peter Michael Araujo and then like John Anthony front and center. And it was great spreads of Michelle and I. That out, press helped. Out in front. It totally helped. Put a little wind in the sails, man, for sure. And that that's what that got started. The Vineyard management business is still cranking along. I mean, it's we farm about 500 acres in Napa and a couple hundred acres down here, and so it's... And so you even do down here, too. We do, yeah. We have farm, we have farm Napa Valley in Napa, and we have farm Paso Robles uh, down here, Jason Yeager. Uh, oh, that's Jason Yeager? That, yeah. I'm a big fan of him. He's great. Yeah, yeah. He had a, he had a, a company called Scotland Vineyard Management. Right. And he reached out to me uh, last year and said, hey, you know, I have his vineyards down here. Is there something we can do together? I'm like, yeah. I mean, if you want to just, you know... Roll it into Farm Napa Valley. Let's keep doing it because we. Yeah. It, it's, it provides great support. The model kind of is like by farming other people's vineyards, you get access to maybe uh, properties you wouldn't otherwise have access to, and then you also have equipment to help out during harvest, and and so that that's worked for us in Napa. And let's Do you take negotiate the same model that? I'm here. so curious. Do you negotiate that when you take on a client? Like, hey, if some stuff gets online, I want first crack at it. Like, can you say that, or is that is there, do you just kind of hope you can negotiate that, or what? We definitely keep them separate. It's definitely like if we're hires a vineyard manager, we're going to do the best job we can. To, to, to farm their property. If we build a relationship with them and the grapes are great and they want to sell grapes to us, then then awesome. Um, but but also there's the flip side of that, which is, oh, hey, I'll hire you as a vineyard manager, but you have to buy the grapes or you have to sell the grapes. And the flip side of that is some years it's just hard to sell grapes. Oh, and so, sure. And so, oh, we were talking about that off the air a little bit, right, Jeff? I mean, yeah. you get into a position where you you have like a contract that says X amount and you're like, you know, if it, if it goes sideways. Yeah, the businesses are so different. I mean, because from a vineyard management perspective, really what you're looking to do is to farm the property to the specification that you've agreed upon with the grower for the for the price per acre you've agreed to. Got and it. you have to keep the owner happy with the pricing, you have to keep the winemaker happy with the quality of the fruit. <clears throat> Which is different than at the grower. At the grower, you want to have as, as, as low cost as possible, as high as tonnage as possible, the most revenues as possible. And then you also, of course, you want to keep your winemakers happy. But, but it's, it's, it's a, there's kind of a competing dynamic. And then as a, as a, as a, as a, as a producer, as a winery, you, you just want to have the best quality fruit at a fair price. And it's, it's, it's important to you what the tonnage of the farmer is. And you also want the farmer's economics to, to work out in the long term. But any given year, it's kind of like, well, that's the risk of farming. Yeah. You know, you know Jeff, how cool was it to get into an operation that from the beginning, the, these guys have been growers? I mean, because you're, you know, an agricultural dude. I think it was me. Maybe I might have switched my notes. Was it you that left law school to go back to the farm? Mm. Oh, you know, yeah, no, I was business in law at USC. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. You go. Like, there you go. It. I forgot about that stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When yeah. I said that to him, did you even like think? No, I didn't. Like, I didn't. I didn't. I was, I was wondering. I was like, I don't remember the law part for John. And then when he funny. said his brother, I go, Oh shoot, Anthony did that. Okay. Yeah, no, I must have okay, just yeah, flipped my. Yeah, so that was yeah, you. No, that, yeah. I was at USC in, in the business in law school. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And and similarly to what John said with the medical stuff, I started flipping through these books on case after case where where you know that one little. Minutia gets changed, and you got to read another hundred pages to just just this wasn't cite for you. Johnson yeah. and John. I'm like, this is as boring as can be. Right, uh, I was not interested. Interested in the money and and all the things you thought you seen, you know, um, from like a TV screen, if you will. But wasn't interested in that kind of work day day in and day out. Yeah, I kind of knew I was. I I, I I don't shave every day, man. I'm not into tucking in my shirt. You know, I I kind of wanted the, this glorified agriculture thing we call the wine industry, where yeah. you, where it's the, just emerging or a culinary aspects, great weather. It's funny because it is a glorified oh, version glorified. of agriculture. Oh, like it is, it's still got all like the raw earth, everything that 
you know, other farming mm-hmm. row crops would have. But no, there's this, I mean, look where we are. Look what surrounds us. It's not Beautiful rice cellars and yeah. light fixtures and, and the one and only John Truchard. I mean, totally. yes, this is a this is quite a place to be. It's fabulous. It's fabulous. It, it sure beats, you know, sugar beets and, right. and rice and tomatoes. <laughs> and, and the harvest is, you know. I mean, well, what lights you up? Man, the, the challenges, I would say, um, from a varietal aspect, I've always just been a rony at heart, to tell you the truth. And then, and then I spice that with some Sauv Blanc. Those those have been those have been my wines, and then and then that time in Oregon. So your I, white wine is Sauv Blanc. It is definitely Sauv Blanc, followed by some like grassy vignette. and gooseberry, all, or kind all, of crisp and tropical. All, all, all of them, all of the above, really? not, but not a big heavy one. You know, not necessarily what I would call your calling. What a, a lot of California ones are. There's there are some great California ones. You yeah, know, the church that we make at John Anthony. It's some uh-huh. of the best Sauv Blanc fruit ever. I made an Oregon Sauv Blanc as well for for the label I had there at King Estate that I neglected to mention um no lo- love savvy i love it grassy i love the gooseberry i love it tropical i love it in a barrel you know i love it late harvest i like it's just, you just love it's that fabulous grape. it's oh with goat cheese uh, give me some goat cheese i know soft blanc i'm sold yeah and saran lamb I'm, I'm 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 there i'm there but but i think i think what lights me up is is the challenge every every day it's another challenge i mean the from the lab results i get sent from ets and then upcoming bottling and <laughs> whether or not you're as stable as you wanted to be with this and the, the, the walls caving in with when you it's when a lot it's of decisions what's going on to, are you pulling eject are we filtering are we restabilizing is this gonna you know pass go they call you the executive vice president of <laughs> oh, yeah yeah I, I call i tell everybody to call, call me jeff you yeah know? yeah but, i was gonna yeah, say like yeah, well, yeah. It, why couldn't i get the president here who's yeah, the president yeah, of winemaking yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, that, is, that is a very esteemed title yeah, the, the evp yeah, of winemaking no, no, but there's a lot going on i'm curious john like what lights you up what, because here we are we have the butter brand we have a brand that on its own again Let's get into a lot of hands. Let's put it on a lot of tables. We have these wines that we're drinking here that, you know, are, are you got to come here to get them. What really lights you up on all these? Yeah, I mean, it's really all of it. Everything from the growing of the grapes to being involved in the winemaking to the sales and marketing. Uh, which you love led, the business, don't you? We, we love the, I, I, I love the business of the business, but I also just love the wine business. Yeah. And, and it, probably, it, it probably helped. When I was a kid, I grew up on the farming side of it. And we come in farming table grapes. And it probably wasn't until, like, my parents got involved in the wine business. We started doing some little wine tasting. I remember being at an auction in Napa Valley one day and seeing Robert Mondavi walk across and, and seeing all the, all the tourists come in. I'm like, oh, this is what we're growing grapes for. Oh, I get it. You know, and then, and then a couple years later, we could actually attend the Napa Valley wine auction and kind of see that scene. And it's such a, it's such a unique business because... It's like a thinking man's business or thinking person's business. I mean, I think from all the decisions you make in the vineyards to all the decisions on the wine side. And then, you know, if someone says to me, if they give me a glass of wine and they say, what do you think of it? I'm like, you know, what, what varietal is it? If I can't tell, what's the price point? Some of the package. Because what, what, if, if, if you have something that's like, hey, we've got five tons of grapes from this one vineyard that can't be replicated. Okay, that's really great, but how are you going to put your kids through school? And it, The difference is, are Jeff and I passionate about this business? Absolutely. Do we geek out on really cool stuff? Absolutely. Are we pragmatic and say, hey, we got bills to pay and kids to put through school? Yes. Right. Yes. And, 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 and it doesn't, all it takes is to, to make a delicious wine, all it takes is a checkbook. You can, without question, hire a great vineyard manager, a great winemaker, hire CF Napa to develop, develop a great label for you. There's other great designers, and you can have a great wine. But to create a business out of it, it takes more than that. And there's kind of like this X factor that it's kind of hard to, yeah. you know, it's like we were talking about it earlier, right? There's certain people that find that X factor. And, and, and so um, I remember once there was a, a gentleman that we were interviewing down here for Paso Robles, and, and, and this is more of a cork dork wine geek 
brand. You have a, we have a lot of different varietals from all over the place. And, right. And and it was talking about different varietals. And he says, "Tell me, tell me the wine you're most proud of." I'm like, "Oh, butter." He's like, "No, no, no, no. I'm serious. Butter." I'm like, "Oh, I am too." Like. <laughs> It's like there's a lot of delicious, awesome, super high-end wines that very few people can appreciate. But make a wine that sells 18 bottles a minute every minute of the year. It's appreciated nationwide. Are you selling a bottle every 18 minutes? 18 18 bottles a minute. You're selling selling 18 bottles a minute? 18 bottles a minute. That's what I'm fucking proud of because it's it's something that everyone can enjoy and appreciate. And like we we brought... Hey, Siri, what is 18 times 60? (laughs) You're going to sell... If we go an hour, you're going to sell over a thousand bottles of wine. Yeah, it's basically like ten million. Well, it's eight hundred fifty thousand <laughs> cases, right? Times yeah. twelve, so that's like ten million bottles a year. So that's incredible. That. It is. So that's so, and also the consistency on that, because because people have to point. trust beyond Mother Nature, beyond the vintage, beyond what your farming was or what you wished it was. You have to make those bottles taste the same. You say you, you're looking at me, but it's really this gentleman right, right here. Right? Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Y'all. Well, yeah. You. I mean, like the brand. You. I mean, that. You. But yeah. Jeff is you. My goodness. Is, but fortunately, Chardonnay is absolutely a winemaker's grape. Yes. Sauvignon Blanc, less so. It would be harder. I mean, you could do it, but it'd be hard. Sauvignon, with Chardonnay, you got a lot of malleability. Sauvignon Blanc has more of a sense of place, which is probably why we like it as winemakers. Sure. Chardonnay as a producer is kind of like the holy grail. And so, so the, that's a long answer to your question, but it's really, it's really all like of that. it. I like that. It's really all of it. I mean, it's, you know, it's yesterday I was out in the, in the vineyards, and, and uh, right behind me we have a uh, a vineyard property called Canaris Gap and we planted a couple years ago I'm out there taking pictures and just sitting and then the whole crew shows up I'm like okay we gotta go through and you know it's like the, it, when the vines are small it's all homogenous but it's, it's rolling hills and as soon as the vines start hitting two or three years you have to start changing the irrigation from like the you start you have to start putting double emitters you gotta start putting some stopcocks maybe some double poly here and I'm like jeez man you're getting into the deep I'm like yeah but you gotta make it all even because you right. can't you, know, you don't have to pick the hilltop separately so I, I enjoy that I enjoy talking to, to Brian Garcia about the Agmaster and he's doing direct injection. I'm like, well, you know, you can flip the switch over here and you can, it can be dilute and it goes over a four-hour period. You probably get a little better disbursement of the product inside. Yeah, I can yeah. get in the weeds, man. No problem. I love that too. What is Paso doing uh, that Napa's not right now? What, what is Paso doing better than Napa right now? It's very interesting. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is the, just the diversity you have here uh, from like the people that are here to the, the, the Appalachians, the climates, the, 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 the grapes that can be grown. I mean, one of the great things about Napa is they, is they, make, they make a lot of different varietals really well, but Cabernet is what they become known for. And so if you're a grower in Napa, it's hard, to, it's hard not to plant Cabernet. You can't not. You can't not it's plant not even, it. It's not even, it doesn't even make sense to not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A C quality Cabernet goes for twice as much as B quality anything else or A quality anything well else. Well put. And so, you think Paso will get there? I don't think it can I, get there. I, I think it's different. Paso is just different. Some people say to me, "Is is Nap is Paso like Napa was twenty years ago?" No, it's just different. You get. I mean, I mean, you can't deny Napa's got three decades on Paso, sure. But I I would like to say because of the where we're located, like we're three hours from each of these big metropolitan areas. You're like less than an hour from Napa okay. if you're in San Francisco. I would like to think we're more of a destination. But also, I would like to see that maverick mentality that you know even brought. Andre Chelichev here for yeah. for some exploration and stuff. That that would not you wouldn't get pigeonholed into like well we can't afford not to grow X. Yeah, but also I mean a great a great example is if you look at the the wines that we have here with so cereal wines was the idea was a series of wines from Paso Robles. How many products do we have here? Right, fourteen, fifteen? Uh, oh, at least yeah, yeah. 
that would be much harder to do in Napa and had true expressions yeah. different. It'd be, totally. it'd be hard to find the quantity. We're here. It's like you've got with the with the with the different appellations and the, and then you know, single vineyards or you know, Napa. You can do single vineyard stuff, but here just the expression you get from the different soils and climates and then all the different varietals that can go here. It's it's fun. You can join. You can come down to cereal and you can just do kind of like a exploration of Paso Robles and we and we celebrate it. I mean, one of the, you do you celebrate the districts here and you celebrate the single vineyards. Absolutely. What is it about this area? Let me ask you the same question we asked John like what is it about this area specifically that is just exciting well again for me personally having had the goal to vacation here every day growing up um you know the central coast that is it 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 just it just automatically you know nucleates uh you know uh excitement but i think for everybody else i I think essentially you know uh, all of the u.s wine production as the foundation of the old world right and then napa put California on the map, and I think I think I think the the foundation of Napa has helped Paso. You know, it became that place where you can get a bottle and not not spend X, right? You know, so you can get a bottle of of similar quality, and you're not going to have to break the bank. It's what Napa was then. I know a lot of people say it isn't, but it is. It's what Sonoma. You know, Sonoma's starting to get a little snootier than it was. Sure. I, I, I've I've always liked Sonoma. You know, maybe a little bit better than Napa because it's more like grower I can, producer. I can, I can shave and untuck yeah, my yeah. shirt a little. I, I don't need to go in and spend a hundred dollars to taste the wine. But, right. And so Paso was just right behind there. But now that Paso is here and, and we've moved to the right on the timeline. I mean, we, he was talking about mustards when, when it finally, mustards was the one spot. How many Michelin recommendations, you know, did I you know. guys just get? Right. I mean, Paso's killing it. Totally. There's a lot. The infrastructure is, 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 is here. Well, you know, you're on that polynomial, you know, you're on that, that, that up swing of the slope. Did so, you see this, John? Are you a master at foretelling of when a place is going to blow up or what? No. When we just came down here, we liked it. It was yeah. that simple. Yeah. It was enjoyed it down here. Was it the 08 recession or there was, a, there was a pivotal time that you were making some different changes and making different directions? And I feel like, you see businesses that, you know, unfortunately, sometimes we may, we may lose them. But then you also see people who looked at the situation in the present, made a move, and was like a watershed moment for their now successful business. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So so, so backing up, you know, so brought up uh, with my mom and dad. And it was definitely that moment in college I was telling you about where it was like... You know, do I do I go the path of working for mom and dad, or do I want to do my own thing? And and, and I, I just kind of chose the path I really wanted to to do my own thing. And so um, so when the uh, we started off the vineyard management business, and then started growing our own grapes, started making wine. And so we started selling wine in 2006, uh, 2000, um, and and we had some nice reviews, so it went well. And then 2007 we sold a little more, 2008 a little more, but we were like doubling production every year. So if you're selling 20 percent more, but you have twice as many grapes to sell, you're like or wine to sell, you're like, wow, we're having inventory. We're gonna have an inventory issue. And it wasn't like I couldn't call up mom and dad and say, "Hey, I mean, it was me. It wasn't. There was no. It was no. There was no. You know, we, my family. They, they support us like emotionally, and we can have dinner. But it's like they, they have their business. I have my business. And so it was like, okay, we gotta. You know, I gotta figure something out. And, and the solution at the time was just to sell off our extra wine. And so like bulk, bulk. We had just bulk it off. And yeah, like we don't. We don't. We have more than we need. And so we gave uh, some bottles to Ciotti, and after three or four weeks, and, and normally Napa Valley Cabernet at that time might go for like 35, 40 bucks a gallon. And after a couple of weeks, they're like, oh, oh, you're asking way too much. I'm like, well, I mean, what, what are other people asking? They're like, oh, <laughs> give me an offer. We have, we, can't, we have more Napa, we're swimming in Napa Valley Cabernet. We can't get rid of it. This is 2009, yeah. early nine, mid, mid-09. And so I'm like, well, like for what price? They're like, give me a, a, under 20 bucks a gallon. I'm like, send me everything you have under 20 bucks a gallon. And they say to me, we'll send you everything we have. 
Is it come again? They said, everything's negotiable. Like, everyone wants to get rid of wine. So four cases of wine show up at our doorstep. And our winemaker at the time, Rob and I, we lined them up on our kitchen counter. And we had our wine in there, and we're tasting all the other wines. I'm like, oh, we're never going to sell our wine for $35 a gallon. Because there's like 45 wines here that are better than our wine. No way. Oh, I mean, there, there, without question, there was like, there were high-end, you know, oak. Two years, it, you know, whether it be Canis or cake bread or sure. I mean, it was d- d- delicious wines that, and, 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 and they're not labeled. You don't know what they are. Right. It's all, they're all, they're it's all, all the, the, they, they've bulked out. Yeah. And they just have numbers on, you know, but then we're like, oh, this, this, this is, I mean, Robin, oh, that's got to be Silver Oak. Oh, that's got to be. You can tell. Oh, okay, we're t- you're t- like, that's got to be that. Like, we're never going to sell our wine. And I'm, I'm like, well, Rob, you know what this means? This is a, this is a horrible time to sell bulk wine, but it's a great time to buy bulk wine. And Rob says to me, yeah, but you have no money. I'm like, right. But what we do have is this wine that we can't sell. We should turn that into our second our second label. And it was actually Rob that suggested, hey, you should call it Jam, short for John and Michelle. So we came out with Jam and and and, and all of our distributors. We had these small distributors. We weren't with the big distributors. We were with these small distributors. And if you're a small distributor, you have to sell really expensive wine because you don't have the volume. So you have to have the margin. Yeah. And so they all needed something that they, they couldn't sell the high-end wine anymore. So they were all asking for less expensive wine. So we came out with jam, short for John and Michelle. But you're right. If it wasn't for the recession, it wasn't for all the bulk wine available. It wasn't for our inability to sell our wine. If it wasn't for the fact that I was trying to sell my client Chardonnay, but no one would buy it. Ron Bauer wouldn't buy it. Frank Family wouldn't buy it. Raymond wouldn't buy it. John Williams. John Williams would always take extra Chardonnay. I knew the kids, I knew he, he's known me since I was seven years old with, with Frog Sleep. He's like, John, we're, we're swimming in Chardonnay. If those guys would have bought the Chardonnay, there would be no butter because I wouldn't have that wine sitting in tank. All those things. So yes, it was without question that slowdown that pushed wine back. And then, and then so, you know, it's like the old saying, life gives you lemons, make lemonade. It was like, you know, we had a lot of wine. Like, okay, we got to do something here. So, so that's where jam sellers grew out of. That's where butter grew out of. When did you know that butter was going to hit? Probably it wasn't the it wasn't the first the first vintage we did a thousand cases the next vintage we did a thousand cases it was really the third vintage where we did eight thousand cases and it sold out in like four months. And like, we need more. I'm like I don't have more. That's all I got. <laughs> like, yeah. The next vintage comes in and then we went from eight we went from eight thousand cases. Why the name butter? Okay, so this is a fun story. So jam is short for John and Michelle. Yeah. And there's this guy Scott Lewis who has vintage wine cellars uh, V wine cellars up in Yauntville, and he actually. Um, he, uh, he actually worked at the Phoenician in Arizona, sold some of our first, uh, as, as, a, as the wine buyer there, bought some of our first wines with John Anthony, and he had V wine cellars, and we were selling him jam Cabernet. My wife and I were at Pebble Beach Food and Wine. We were pouring John Anthony. We had some jam under the table. Scott Lewis comes over, and uh, he has three sheets to the wind, uh, you know, and, and, and he says, man, my guys love selling that jam Cabernet. He's like, you're a winemaker. He used to work at Rombauer, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, he's like, you guys got to do a white wine called Butter. I'm like, oh, that's actually. And I had a, I had a client that couldn't sell his grapes. We put it in a tank, and I wanted to make a Rombauer La Crema style Chardonnay with, with uh, oak chips in a stainless steel tank because those barrels are expensive. They're heavy. They're dirty. They're, you know, it's like it's a lot of work. And um, and so I had this tank of wine that was making like an oaky, buttery style, and I was just going to sell it on the bulk market to try to get my client to regroup to to recoup his his expenses on farming. And I was like, oh, maybe I should take that. 2,500 gallons of bulk Chardonnay and put it in a bottle and call it butter. So that was year one. That's where, that, that's where, that's where butter came from. What did he say when he found out, oh my God, you turned you turn my little just flippant idea into a conglomerate? I see the guy all the time. He's really? great. He's such a stud. He's so, he's so cool about it, man. He that's has all so the time. That's so great. Oh, every, every, any of our, one, one event, it was like, this, uh, we were at, we were at um, Aspen. This is like two years ago. Uh, three years ago, it was actually 19. Black, we had Black Pistol Fire at the Belly Up in Aspen, and uh, and he was trying to get in, and, and the and the 
and our marketing team says, there's some guy outside, some Irishman or Englishman, I don't know, he's got some accent, and he says he knows you, and he wants to get in, and, and it was Scott, and he's like, I just, I just want to come watch the band. I'm like, oh, yeah, guys, take a picture. Whatever this guy wants to do, anything. Ever. Like, he's, he's the guy that suggested <laughs> we do better. So That's he, a he, great story. There was once we were up at our berries, and I was telling the story, and I was like, I'm just telling you, and this girl said, oh, tell me about the story about butter. So I'd tell him the story, and she like, has a smile on her face, and, and, and I look around, and Scott's sitting right behind me. And so, so it's, he, we're great. Like, That's he's, so great. Oh, man, he's, he's such a he's such a he's such a good dude but that was really it but it was like we went from a thousand cases the first two years then eight thousand and then we went to twenty three thousand fifty six thousand hundred forty five thousand that was the year you came on board four hundred fifty thousand cases and as i mentioned earlier now we'll do between eight hundred twenty eight hundred fifty thousand cases a year and and it's like 18 bottles a minute Man. Every minute of the year it's nuts are we growing still uh we we were growing uh through last year last two years we've been flat wine industry, chef's like i hope not <laughs> the wine the wine the wine industry the, the wine sales have been uh on a market-wide basis are down like eight percent year over year and we're flat so that yeah it's weird i remember telling i remember for years i told these guys like there's gonna be years where flat's good and last couple of years flat's yeah. good. we actually were up a little bit last year this year we're flat so you know it's uh we like growth, but you know, we're in it for the long term. And you know, yeah. And the thing with us, we won't do. We don't want to just have growth for growth's sake. I mean, I'm a big believer. Like, well, like with all these wines here, it's they're all like, they're all organic in the sense that there's a sense of place, and we're not trying to force anything. With all of our sales, we're not. We don't do anything crazy to try to just like hit some top line sales number. We just want to put a great product out there, repeat it year after year, and if people are buying it, great. Let's not let's not try to put more wine out in the marketplace than people want. We don't have to like artificially grow anything. Right. My wife and I own the business. We're here for the long term. Uh-huh. I just turned 51 this year. I plan to do this for the next 25 years. So just step by step, man. We'll build. Do you, you must get phone calls all the time for acquisition. Well, they stopped. If, if, if for probably like four or five years ago, we used to get a lot of them. And all uh, the big names. Yeah, the big names. And and and, and there's a. And a any, any anyone come with something sexy? Well, I don't know. And I'll tell you why. So there's a small investment banking firm that's represented a lot of the vintners and their sales. They reached out to me in early days and they said, hey, you know, we want to build a relationship with you and would you have lunch? I said, oh, sure. And so the first lunch I said, look, guys, I'll have lunch with you, but I don't have an interest in selling my brand. I want This is what I want to do. I want to continue to build it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so, of course, the next lunch, they give me all the big sales numbers, what the brand could be worth. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's great. The next lunch was like all the scenarios where the people could have sold the brands but didn't and they missed out. So, you know, first was greed. Ooh. First was greed, then was fear. I'm like, guys, I get it. I get it. Okay, that was the, this is the, this is the fear pitch, right? And they're like, man, yeah, you kind of get it. I'm like, yeah, I, it's okay. So we continue to have lunch. Like we'd have lunch like every six months. And after a couple of years, they're like, Hey, um, it was interesting. Cause they were, they were there and, and it was, uh, it was Mario Zapponi and Matt Franklin with, um, with Zapponi and associates. And it, it was, uh, interesting cause they were, um, they had lunch. And they said, okay, well we want to, we, um, every, every quarter we meet with some of the large buyers and I won't mention the names, but he said, uh, recently, the one of the large buyers they want to they want they're interested in butter and they want to meet with you. It's a like Gallo Constellation. It's, a, it's something. One of the big boys. Yeah, it's one of the yeah big that's boys. right. One of the ones that can write you know multi hundred million dollar checks. Yeah, and, and one of the ones that are trying to get in the, are always trying to get into Paso now. That's right. <laughs> and I said they said well would you at least would you at least take a meeting with them? I'm like no. I'm like, but why would you not take a meeting? I'm like, it's a little bit like when you're dating and you ask the girl up for a drink. And she says, fine, I'll go for a drink, but I'm not going to sleep with you. Yeah. The first thing that goes through your mind is, but there's a chance. The, yeah. And I'm like, there's no chance. Right. I'm not going to sell. I don't want to waste their time. I don't want to waste my time. So like, you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> you're saying, I'm like, there's no <laughs> chance. We're not going to take the meeting. And they were kind of surprised. Like, why not take the meetings? I'm like, it's a waste of time. I know how this goes. What are our growth? But why not take the meeting? Why not? Why not? No interest in selling. Ever? No. 
No, I mean, look, not 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 during the near future. Now, it, it could something happen where something happens to me. Yeah, sure, but but no, this is this was doing, yeah. doing what I want to do. And the thing is, a lot of people say, well, why don't you sell it and then just keep doing more do another brands. brand? I'm like, shoot. Yeah. yeah, but our business is super profitable. I'll, I'll actually make if I sell the business, I'll make. We'll make less money if we sell the business. It's not about the money to you. It's not about the money. The, no. the money box is checked. And so, yeah, right, 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 right. And, and so why don't we just use the profits of the business to continue to do brands like Cereal and Weather and Wishlist and you know, down the road, independent of wine, we'll, we'll get into spirits one day because butter. Really? Oh, 100%. Butter, Let's do this. Butter behaves way more like a spirit than it does a wine. How so? What do you mean behaves? Cocktailish. Yeah, so think of it as like the thing of like the, okay the, from a flavor profile yeah. for sure. I mean, butter jam sellers was definitely meant to be like cocktail wines, like something yeah. you enjoyed. But more importantly, it's we have sixty five percent gross profit, so it's like a higher margin than wine and quick inventory turns. Butter chardonnay, we can we can between harvest and selling, we can we can between picking it and being able to sell it, it can be as short as like seven or eight months, which typically wines longer than that. We'll spend millions. It's not of, a lot of barrel aging on these. No, it's not. But with, with, with Chardonnay, it's like you're trying. You're, you want to get the essence of the of the oak and the vanilla, and you can grab that in four or five months. Okay. You don't need you don't need eighteen months on that. I would argue, sure. put eighteen months would be too much. Right. And then uh, you look at because we have the higher margins, we can do a lot of advertising. So we spend millions of dollars a year advertising. Bottle Rock is a great example. That's not the only example. Yeah, we should talk about that later. Yeah. And then we've got great relationships. Should have you advertise on this podcast for credit? Hey. <laughs> and then we have. Hey, maybe we should. And then we have a great relationship with Southern Glaciers. That's our, they're our primary distributor. Got it. Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits. So it's doing all right. Yeah. And so because of that, you know, they're they're, they're always story. interested in having existing partners bring new products to Good them. Good for you. Yeah. If I visited, I visited yeah the Jalisco area and tequila and Aranda's multiple times. And Dude, what's it like being a huge sponsor for Bottle Rock? You must get some VIP access over there, huh? Oh, man. It, Eating it, shrimp with Kid Rock in the back or you're doing some stuff. The, you're back um, there for sure. Well, not really because because when we do Bottle Rock, we host a lot of our partners and I want to spend time with them. So of course, I, I you got to so, host. Yeah, so, so Bottle Rock's interesting because we got involved in the very beginning. The I've always wanted to do a year. show there. Oh, man, you should come fun. Dude, yeah. let's, let's talk about that. We'll make yeah. it happen. We'll, we'll, uh, oh, we can line vintners up for you. Yeah, I would love that. Okay, so if Jam Cellars is like walking distance to, to where Bottle Rock's at. Oh my gosh, really? We have, we, have a, uh, we have a room that's designed for like podcasts and recording. And so you could come up there, you could park sure. there. We can line it. vintners up all weekend long. Yeah, somewhere be, I can crash for guest. a day or so? We'll figure it out. Yes. We'll figure it out? Yeah. Dude, we'll do a Be show our guest, there. dude. Oh, this would be, be awesome. Awesome. What about Paso? Uh, what do you see the future of it? Obviously, you hear someone who, as I'm looking at that picture right behind you, just a little boy in Napa. Uh, you've seen Napa grow. What do you see of Paso in the early future? And what do you hope to see in the late future? Yeah, I, I mean, I think Paso will be, I mean, if you think of like top three or four growing regions in North America, Paso is going to be in that. Paso's right there. In the, and uh, just the diversity and the quality of the wines that come out of here. Um, but I think one thing that's it, what's so special about Paso is just when you come to the town and spend time with the vintners. There's a there's something magical here with the people that are involved that, that you can't quite. People, I'm like, just come down and experience it. You're, you're speaking my language, dude. You'll get it, man. The you'll people, get it. I think, is a bigger part of this terroir than maybe any other wine region. Yeah, might you agree? I do. There's something to that, though. Yeah, there is. There was a, a gentleman that uh, reached out to me from a university on the East Coast, and, the, and I'm forgetting the name uh, of it. And it was early days with John Anthony. And he said, um, I'd like to, and it, we're, we're doing a study on really like high end wines, and we'd like to spend some time with you to interview you about, about your perspective on it. I'm like, well, I've just been selling wine for a couple of years. I, you probably have me mistaken with someone else. So, no, 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 you recommended we should talk to you. So we got together and had some lunch at uh, in Napa. And um, so he, he interviewed a bunch of, he asked a bunch of questions. I said, well, I, I got to ask you, what, what, do you, what do you see in common 
with the super high-end retail brands. And it wasn't just in wine. It was talking about like in fashion as well. And he said, behind every successful high-end brand is, is, a, is a personality, is a promoter behind it. There's an iconic individual behind it that's promoting it and talking about it, and, and, which makes sense, whether it be Mandavi or Jackson or, or Giorgio Armani. Or, you can go through the list, you know, Porsche, Ferrari. I mean, it's like the list is... Yeah, like Boisset or something. Yeah, you know? totally. You go down, I'm like, oh, interesting. And, and, and Paso has that. And Paso, you know, we've yeah. got, got the personalities down there promoting promoting the, the region. But it also has the fruit to back it up. It's got the quality to back it up, which is important because you, there's the front of it that is out that you're promoting it, but then you have to, when you drink it, you, you know, people always ask me whenever I'm in a tasting, they're like, which one do you like best? And I'll, I'll, I'll be like, that one, it's empty. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's the one. Now, you've been drink it. You obviously know a lot of the hot spots to... Uh, drank and eat up there what are some of the places that have really dazzled you in Paso to get a meal and something like man I wish this was a Napa because it's so good I only get it when I'm in Paso yeah but, but the first thing that comes to mind is Bloom I mean just the, the and Bloom is fantastic man Bloom's fantastic the, the, the freshness and the quality and the creativeness of the food is uh, so we were there the other day we ordered a bottle of uh, Bia Cart and Chris brings out this um, little plate of like a few little triangles of like beautifully fried chicken with some little drizzle on them and then caviar on top. He's like, I thought this would be good with the champagne. I'm like, gestures like that. I mean, that place is fantastic. That was great. And then the second one that comes to mind is it was it was probably, in, I know exactly when it was, because it was in February of 2019, right before the pandemic, we went to Le Petit uh, Canal. Yes. And, and I, I had no idea what to expect. I'm like, wow, this is fantastic. Oh, yeah. So we really, we really enjoyed that. So we have some impressive places here. Yeah. But you, but you, you mentioned it's important because... So people say, okay, there's a great, there's a great region has, uh, it's a region that has great grapes and has great wines, but I'm like, to have a destination, you need more than that. You have to have the wine, you have to have the grapes, you have to have the hotels, you have to have the coffee shops, you have to have the restaurants, you have to have the bars, you have to have the tiki lounge, you have to have the speaking, I mean, it's like all this ecosystem and Paso, it's almost like, it's just, it's gone, I feel like it's gone from like the leading edge, the bleeding edge to like, now it's happening. It's like, it's, it's right in that sweet spot of like, it wow, is. it's happening. Yeah. It's special time right here. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool that you've been able to like see those special times blossom in Napa, and now you're seeing it happen here. And you know we have these wines that are just fantastic. I mean, uh, Jeff, I mean, beautiful job on all the wines. The rosé, wonderful. Love the Viognier. Viognier, some great expression. Via Creek, Hoyt Vineyards, and then the third one was that is your distribution cab. Yeah, yeah, that's the one you find everywhere. Or we're hoping to get everywhere. Beautiful, and to have a cab that is like you know like it, it's not. It's just got it everything. It's got the smooth tannins. It's got the the beautiful fruit, but it's not hitting you across the face with anything. You taste in you're tasting paso. It's got that little. I don't know. I I really like that that cab a lot. Oh man. Well, it's a melting pot of Paso's AVAs. Is right, it? As far as that goes. How are we putting yeah, that one together? I mean, what are we doing? They're, they're not all in there, but this particular one has San Miguel. It has Estrella, um, courtesy of our, our own estate, as well as some, some other vineyards we worked with, the Highlands, um, and, a, and a, a splash of uh, some Creston as well. Yeah. And then, and then you know, when you have the bigger distributed skew, it, it's not that it's the dumping bucket, but it allows you to craft your smaller skews and you can lose the barrel kickouts from your Willow Creek. Harder something. wines to make. Yeah, the harder wines to make. Let me when, ask when you, you have, the DTC or the, or the bigger ones? Oh, harder. There's, they're, they're all, they all have their challenges, man. They, they all have their challenges. Um, and and they're, they're so circumstantial and unique to, to the skew and the vintage. If you, if not, when we're talking about one, uh, the one that we make, it, we don't just go and pick it for one. It's a select, like I 
like I'm able to select that from the from the farm. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to go into the cellar and we taste everything, and we're able to say this is the one that you know the rainbow's shining on. Everyone and always like, tells me that bottling. If something can go wrong, it's on bottling day. Bottling. When you bottle. We're Big and bottling. little. You're always you're always bottling. Always bottling. <laughs> every, yeah, we're bottling every. You got a bottling every, line. Every, wow. No. No. So we're hosted. So I work with to, uh, anywhere from twelve to twenty different wineries. Got uh, it. Across the state. Across the state. So what what are the kind of things that you see on a bottling day? Because it must be just nuts. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, on the larger scale, you go through so much material that you'll see. You know, you know, you'll get contact with a bunch of white butter labels, for example. It's like, well, nope. Yeah, no, they're supposed to be yellow. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> Thank you. You know, label that. Get us the numbers off of that box. We'll get back with our label event. And then what do you do? You bottle them, but then you just don't put the labels on them and put them aside? Yeah, yeah. No, you just clean it up. A lot of there's rework with bottling. There's definitely some rework with bottling. Um, there's always there's always something that gets set. Is aside bottling more you, stressful than harvest? Uh, they they have they have similar stresses. They have similar stresses. The the I call it the aesthetic committee of, of bottling. The one, one thing that's really hard is is our company's very big, right? And I'm making wine for John. John's not necessarily there every time. We have the designer. We have marketing. We have all these people that have opinions, but they're not there at six in the morning when the when the when Castoro's pulling up and the label's a little crooked, and you're like, well, or or you know, a little wrinkle. Well, how how many wrinkles is okay to Pasco? No wrinkles. It, no wrinkles don't. It, that doesn't exist. The great thing about Jeff is he has like I'm, zero tolerance for anything that's not perfect. So it, it gets hard when you're like, man, that capsule's. Isn't that nice like though, shit. John, to have someone who has an eye like yours, like where he's spending money like it's yours. He's spending he's spending his attention like yes. it's yours. That's that's great. Oh yeah, that that's that works. If it's the opposite, it's a mess. Oh sure, it's a mess. But that's the hardest part is going what really passes because you don't want to say. Oh, I'll concede. Oh, that's okay. Hey, that little wrinkle on the foil is going to be okay. You want a perfect foil, and you can't, right. you can't wait the bits of the foil company and the glass company later going, well, what's the deal? Do we need, you know, a thicker tin? Do we, do we need a, be- a better bottler? You know, who do we need? Uh, so so, so there, it, it's, a, it's all challenging. It's all challenging. The small-scale stuff, um, if the small-scale stuff doesn't have a, an – exact make the, the big stuff actually has more of an exact totally. make than the small scale stuff 100%. like like this viognier was was 10 barrels all 10 didn't didn't necessarily need to go in there if i wanted to kick one out it worked that the 10 went in there but if nine went in now nah, you know bob's your uncle no one's saying anything right I'm, yeah i'm losing it and i can lose it in butter chardonnay all day long all day long it doesn't matter ship it right over there and make 25 bucks a gallon just losing it in in the two million gallons i have of that but butter chardonnay i need to i can't run out on the shelf space so so these the size of the rose it can be 300 cases or 250 yeah. or five you know 500. Right. we'll fix it next year we good, we'll go yeah. 300 cases next year if 500 was too long you know it's it's just whatever makes the best wine from someone who has experience here made wine in a lot of different places outside of here mm-hmm. is familiar with a lot of different avas outside of here what what are some little pieces and little nuggets that folks who do make wine here could really could really use maybe some encouragements i'm like hey don't sweat the small stuff is it this or if i wish we were doing more of this are there any little things that you can think of on the top of your head man you, you know one of the things that i still use to this day it's a it's a sensory test and it's it's just either a triangle or a duo trio i was just playing around with the winemaker i work with michael abernathy uh, yesterday and and we're trying to figure out does this one you know a concentrate series for example if you need to sweeten back a, a wine to just make sure it's that much more approachable for the for the for the consumer and, and that's mainly on on our distro skews but um he was thinking our our weather pinot needed a splash i said well set me up you know give me give me two of them that have it or don't 
and one of them that has it or don't. And, and, and it's called a duo trio. If you, if you really think, and I did it to him too and mixed up the glasses, if you really think it needs that ad of X, Y, or Z, well, then prove it to me that you can taste it and you can single it out. You can pick out both these have it. This one doesn't. I a prefer duo this. trio. It's, it's a, a duo trio will be three and two. So that's a five glass lineup. That's harder. Got the, it. The triangle's a three glass lineup. So you just set up three glasses. I had to do this with Ed King one time. So I'm, I'll throw him under the bus. Up at King's State. Yeah, yeah. He was telling me just how, how my Pinot Gris didn't taste as good as the last one. And the Pinot Noir was like, oh, okay. Well, I, I think it tastes... As good, if not if not better. Yeah. Um, they did it with me with the aesthetic committee, too, with the labels. Hey, your domain labels are kind of crooked. That fucking bottle, you just can't lay it down straight, right? So I went uh, I went, and I got, and I blind, I, I said, hey, guys, I'm going to put on this tasting. Come, Can you guys come taste? And just give me your, hey, what are we tasting? Oh, I didn't want to tell you what you're tasting. Well, there's five glasses. You guys tell me which Pinot Gris you like the best. Same Pinot Gris they ripped me for is now their favorite Dude. because they didn't know it was the 2008, which was a top 100 wine. And, uh, and uh, all the, I, I'm going, oh, you don't like the 2007? Now you like the 2008. You know, you guys, just, just no, no, none of us know, myself included. I may think I like this better. I may think that hit of acid. But you better. were vindicated that moment. Prove it. You have to vindicate yourself, though. You do. You, you okay, do. sure. You have to basically qualify. You have to qualify yourself. How does that hurt your ego when the guy comes and says, no, this, this Pinot Gris ain't my... Like, do you... I, 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 you I, make this, bro. I, I, no, yeah. I mean, there's a little bit. There's a little bit of that kind of middle linebacker mentality, oh right? God. Where it's just like, dude, I'm gonna just knock you out. But no, no. You know, I, I, you respect people's palates, and you don't. Like, like I've tasted with a lot of people. I, I just I, last night was my tasting group. I have a tasting group with all these these Napa elite winemakers. You know, it was crazy. We tasted all hundred point 2016 uh, uh, Chardonnays. Stop all, it. All, all Kisslers and Aubergs all, all day long. You know, hundred point, hundred point, ninety eight, ninety eight to hundred point just just 12 wines we went through them all and we ripped them up and down right and you listen, how do you rip a 99 and 98 well, they're also 16th so they're starting okay, to get sure. a little tired so uh-huh. it's like okay, which okay, one's okay. still had life which one had fruit hey this one's oh got a little little crazy but but it was just funny to 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 taste you know 100 point like perfect wines i know that weren't so perfect and, right? and listen to the guy next to you like what you picked as the last Right, like, like, it. What's really neat is we, we, we. Does that make you question your own palate more, or does it make oh, you really feel more? It, 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 most of the time, I, I don't want to be that guy, but most of the time, it reinforces that. Like, okay, I do, I do know what I'm tasting. Yes, you know, it's nice to get the score. Sometimes when you don't get the score you want, you're like that guy can't taste. Yeah, the hell's the problem? <laughs> but all of a sudden, when you think your VNA was good and you submit it and you get that score, and you're like, okay, well, that echoes it. That that compounds the whole thing. John, if we ever tasted a wine from Jeff, he comes with a wine. Yeah, or you're tasting a lot of something to be put out in the market. And just like Ed King in that story, you're not quite feeling it. Have you ever, what are these stories where you've had to say like, hey. John's certainly <laughs> done that. John's certainly done that. No, he, he, he'll, well, he'll offer a, his opinion uh, many so, a time. Yeah, so the, I mean, the best one was, I think it was probably 2017, 16, and Jeff comes to me and we were doing like 500,000 cases of Chardonnay and Jeff's like, he brings me, he's like, here we go. Here's our 2006. I think it was 16. Here's a 2016 Chardonnay. It was with Michael Abernathy when he first started. The the barrel one? or, the, it was, or was, it, this, was, was this This is for butter. John it was at the okay. old office. Okay, but it was butter. It was okay, butter. Sure. And okay. Jeff comes to me. He's like, he's, he brings me one. He's like, there's our 2016 butter. What do, you, what do you think of it? I'm like, okay. I smell it. I'm like, how many, how many tanks do we have? Jeff said, we have 85 tanks. I'm like, do they all taste exactly like that? <laughs> like, nope. I'm like, I don't know. Are, are there some that smell like ass? He's like, well, I mean, there's some good ones. There's some I'm like, <laughs> The ones that smell like ass, are they in there? Would this wine be better without the ass wine in it? Yeah. 
I'm like, I'm like, I want to smell them all. And he's like, must fucking taste all 85. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I want to taste a lot of them. And oh, so, that that, yeah. and so, oh, man. But, so what do you do? You can't give me 80. You can give me 85 so so glasses. Just like, just like they're in the fucking dumpster. I'm like, go get them. And so, <laughs> and, then, and then, and there was a little bit of a coming to Jesus moment. Like, I don't want to fucking do that. I'm like, well, I mean, like this, this is, I want to be involved. This is really fucking important. But it was great because we did go through them. And then throughout that process, every fucking wine has a story. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you what happened. They didn't understand how to use the inoculator. So the fucking thing got stuck. And because of that, we ended up making some changes to the facility in the long term that made made the wine better. So it's it's great. If anything, someone listening to this understands just how hard and how much love and passion and technique goes into this yeah, and it's so funny so. because we were talking earlier about you know just the idea of you know having technique but then what other job is there like this much technique and fundamentals but also like so much craft and artisanship yeah. and subjective you know artistry yeah, the best example I can think of is, is music but it's different because it's like instantaneous where this starts like it's you know starts know. years ago in the vineyard in the field and it's influenced by climate and viticultural practices and then winemaking practices but music is probably the best and I ask myself that question what's the analogy yeah. music might be the best because it, it's uh, I talk to winemakers all the time is it craft or is it art it's both. Both. I mean, it really is. It's both, it, it, and it depends on the on the on the skew. You know, it, well, it, is it fair to assume that your butter, your distro brands that we're making a lot of, this would be more fundamental because we got to reach consistency. We have a lot totally. to do. We got to cross every T, dot every I, and then maybe with the the single vineyard stuff, the DTC stuff, for some more art. It's a coming. little more fingerprint. You can paint a picture. Everybody yeah. doesn't have to like it, right? Right. But, but the consistency and that you're not we're not showcasing a vintage with with. Butter. Butter. You know, you're not showcasing. Yeah, I mean, California in yeah. terms of a sense of place. Yeah. You know, I'd say we can showcase yeah. that, but but we're showcasing butter, right? Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't, we don't want right. we don't want to hear about eleven being a little different than twelve. No, 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 we just want we want them not to notice. We don't want the email. We don't want the consumer to notice. We don't want the point of distribution, Safeway to know anybody to notice. That's right. Yeah. So your question. I mean, I, I would probably rephrase your question: Is how much of it's science and how much of it's art? And it's like you got to get the science right to be able to exercise the art. Sure. One of the things that UC Davis did is they got a lot of flawed wines out of the market. Prior to UC Davis, there's a lot of just flawed wines. I mean, back when you read like a lot of Thomas Jefferson's biography, he talks about wine. A lot of the bad wine was literally bad wine. It wasn't that it was like it wasn't that it was like chemically stable and okay and just people didn't like it. It was probably like just flawed. Wine. It wasn't sound. It wasn't yeah. sound. Yeah, it's full of it was spoiled. You know, spoiled. spoiled. We, spoiled we have wine. a lot of cool equipment now too that helps people fix some of their yep. oopsie daisies. Yep. You know, okay. let's talk about cereal. How we can taste these wines. We're downtown Paso. This is the old McClintock's Tavern, right? It is. Yeah. This is super cool. It's, it's beautiful. It's a long place. You guys have done beautiful stuff to it. You walk in, it's just gorgeous. I was talking to Terry out there. Um, you guys were open till midnight tonight. That's right. I you are a happy. You are a night. You are some nightlife here. Yeah, I think we're ten to ten Sunday through Wednesday, right? And then ten to midnight it's Thursday, incredible. Friday, Saturday, and uh, yeah, right here on Park Street, uh, next to the old McClintock's, next to Hemingways. Now, uh-huh. what's great? You get is, some good residual over there. Send some people over there with a bottle. Yeah, vice versa. Or, yeah, vice that's versa, right. Yeah. That's right. And then uh, yeah, fish catcher. If Kent, if you're waiting in line, come over and have some. Yes, have some wines. And so, uh, and, there's, and there's probably like two experiences here. Like one is just to come over and have a glass of wine, wait for your table, and chat and chill out. Another is to have the full, you know, come back to the collective room and get the full Paso tasting experience. This has been so much fun. What have we, uh, what have we learned here? We learned here that uh, we need to be a bottle rock. 
But, yeah, Bottle Rock, that'd be great. Yes, we need to make that happen. Butter needs to be on this podcast. We've learned all about your agricultural past. Yours too, Valley Boy, yep. who's been all over the place and now is back in Paso. There's so much just like hills and hurdles and things that we, we get through to get where we are. I love, and your mom and dad are doing good. They're in their 80s. And yeah, yeah. He's still on a he's still on a ATV getting oh, through the vineyards. Absolutely. My dad's 85, my mom's 83, and they're doing great. What's their secret? I mean, you look, you have great skin. Like, what's going yeah, on? What's with your family? Be, it must be the wine. The resveratrol. The- <laughs> yes, the resveratrol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, think, I think part of it's like, it's like doing something you love and work. I mean, they, they, they love what they do. They, my dad's out there every day and yeah. taking care of the vineyards and his goats and his cats in his garden. I was really looking forward to meeting you and you. I've read and learned about both of you guys. I was really looking forward to this conversation. Did you guys both have fun with this? Was this a fun oh, for sure. chat? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was great. And seriously, we should uh, love to do something now, but I mean, during Bottle Rock, I could get Vintners lined up where you could just do back-to-back. Dude, and you can then come join it. us on the suite, hang out, mansion after parties, taco trucks. Yeah, it's on. Yeah, And I'll, re- I'll record as much as you will let me in on. <laughs> I'm sure there's some stuff I probably shouldn't, but... I think it'd be great to get the group, these other Vintners lined up. Dude, I think, so. I think it'd be awesome. They, they would love it. They would love it. People love to share their stories. And you're yeah. great, you're great uh, you know, conversationalist. You guys are a couple great gentlemen. I can't thank you enough. Cereal Wines, it's spelled S-E-R-I-A-L. The tasting room is downtown. You got to check these wines out. Beautiful wines. Great people from Terry welcoming me the way that she did. And this has been a, a really fun time. So I got to thank both of you gentlemen for sharing more wine takes. Thank you, Adam. Cheers, Adam. Give me that time, we'll get by, we pass on round till the job is done. Get out in the trees, it will simplify good company. I love meeting John Truchard, Jeff Kendarian, both of Cereal Wines. Check them out. Cereal, S-E-R-I-A-L, CerealWines.com. And whether you're tasting the flight or whether you're just going in for a glass of wine because you're maybe going to dinner or waiting for a table, uh, check them out. Great people, great wines. And who knows, maybe where wine takes us the next time we talk to Cereal is Napa and Bottle Rock. That would be pretty rad. Okay, for our Travel Paso Spotlight, how close to wine tasting is olive oil tasting. It's a lot closer than you might think. We're going to talk to Eleanor. She is here from Pasolivo. Eleanor, thanks for hanging out with me. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me. So Pasolivo, you guys have been around for about 15 years or so. Now we have two tasting rooms. You can really get the best of both worlds. If you're bopping around downtown, you got a spot there right there on Park Street. But also, like, I'm really intrigued about going out to the ranch. People come out to taste there too, don't they? They do. It's such a gorgeous location. We have outside seating if you bring your pups. There's inside seating as well. It's a perfect situation. You're surrounded by the oaks. You're surrounded by our olive trees. It's beautiful. All right. How do we taste olive oil? Obviously, it's got to be a lot less than wine. What, what are the things? Are we, are we swirling it? Are we swishing around our mouth? What is like the way we do this? Yeah, oddly enough, it's very similar to wine. You are aerating it onto your tongue. Um, and this is... Let's just say this. This is what professionals do. I don't expect people to <laughs> come in and do this, but you are supposed to aerate it. It's called strapaggio, and it's a beautiful Italian word. And it aerates it onto your tongue to really pick up all the nuances of olive oil. But because uh, that's not what most of us do at home, we also have freshly baked ciabatta bread that we present to do all the tasting with. That's so interesting. So ideally, you're kind of drawing air past it on your palate and it almost makes like that bong sound like that slurpy kind of that like like you know like pros do with wine that's what you want to do with the olive oil too 
Exactly. Yeah. So if you've been wine tasting all day, you know the drill. You can do that. You're supposed to kind of cup the the tasting cup with your hand to warm that up a little bit, swirl it around, um, you know, sip it in and aerate it onto your tongue. What's it called? Serpaggio? What did you call that? Yeah. That's so interesting. I never knew that. Okay, so now are there different oils for like cooking or dipping or things like that? Yeah, you know, I, people ask me that, and I have. I, I'm sure I'm annoying with the broad answer I give. All of our oils are good for all of that. Our oils have a smoke point of 425, so you can deep fry with this, you can cook with it, you can dip, you can do salad dressings, you can literally, the the higher the quality level of extra virgin olive oil, the higher the smoke point, believe it or not. Oh, okay. I remember there was this one olive oil that we got somewhere far away, and it was like, it was super expensive, and we're just, like, it sits in the pantry. And like, okay, we're not only do this if we're you know really gonna you know like dip, you know because I mean you don't want to just like straight cook with it. But it's so interesting that they they kind of like wines. They can run across the gamut into how expensive they are. You know, and I know there's some wines that are probably fifty bucks that might be just as good as a hundred bucks. A lot goes into it, marketing, demand, things like that. Is is it like that with olive oil too? If somebody finds an expensive olive oil, does it necessarily mean it's it's a lot better? How should we look at that? That's a fantastic question. Usually, yes, you get what you paid for. Um, there is a lot that goes into making sure that the our extra virgin olive oils are as high quality as possible. These oils are extra virgin olive oils, or EVOs for short. They just recently got gold internationally. So that is against Spain, against Italy, against Greece, the big dogs. So there's a lot that goes into taking care of our oils at every step of the way to make sure that when they arrive in your kitchen, they are the best product ever. So there is a lot that goes into it. Um, I will say when you're paying, you know, $5, $10 for a bottle of olive oil, be aware. Maybe do your research. Uh, they say UC Davis did a couple studies, and they said 73% of the oils in stores are cut with something else. Wow. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, so it really yeah. makes sense. If you go to, like, a place like Pasolivo, you go to an artisan place in, you know, wine country, you're bound to get something a little bit more thoughtfully crafted. Correct. I don't want to set the the bar too high, but I do believe that you'll be mind blown when you walk in there and do a tasting. I haven't ever seen anybody walk out, walk out and go, meh. You know, I've been there for eight and a half years, and everybody walks out going, "This was an amazing experience." Yeah, and, and they like go and they tell someone else. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. You got a lot of different kinds. Make some gift baskets. I mean, I know with my morning show, you guys have uh, donated for like the needy families that we do our breaking and entering Christmas with. So you guys are just great members of the community. I'm so curious though, Eleanor, what's like the weirdest food you put olive oil on? Well, I, I mean, we do. Cocktails, does that count? Really? But yeah. You're putting it into cocktails? Yeah. Give me, I love this. Give me an example. Okay, so we did, um, you know, during COVID, we did these live Instagram shows with distilleries and, um, you know, executive chefs around the area. And Bethel Road did a cocktail with our lemon olive oil. It was called the Checkmate Martini. So their gin, our lemon olive oil, our herbs of Provence, the brine from our lemon-stuffed olives, 
all in a shaker, shaken up, strained into a martini glass. Damn. So imagine, imagine that olive oil balling up on the top, looking gorgeous. That's and so cool. And then, you know, garnished with one of our lemon stuffed olives. It was, a, I mean, honestly, I would have paid $25, $30 for this cocktail. It was amazing. It's so funny because we were, I had an olive oil person in here, and they're like, oh, put it on ice cream. I'm like, What? And sure yep. as heck, put it on ice cream. Olive oil on ice cream is bomb. It is so good. <laughs> yes, we actually sell a tangerine olive oil gelato from Leo Leo Gelato. Love we them. We all know great them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, we actually sell uh, a gelato that has our tangerine olive oil in it. It's amazing. Okay, winemakers get one crack a year at this. How many times are we harvesting olives and are we making olive oil throughout the year? Uh, we are, yeah, we get one crack as well. Um, you know, we're working with Mother Nature, so it's always fun. Um, it's usually in November. What is not like winemaking is that olives are an every other year fruit. So from one year to the next, the yield is going to change. Last year, it was an eight-day harvest. This year, it's going to be a three-week harvest. Wow, because the rains? <laughs> um, because, well, it, the rain has helped, all of that has helped, but... It's just, it's um, a droop fruit like um, like a plum is, and every other year their yield is a little less, and then the next year it's a little more. Oh, wow. So each, yeah, each plant is, is producing more this year, and next year it's going to be a little bit more slim. So those, so, rains, uh, <laughs> so those rains were good for you then? The rains were great for us. We just, you know, obviously need everything to um, manage itself as we get into, like, the you know, the harvest for grapes as well. Please manage itself between now and you know, November. November is when we do our harvest, and we just hope that everything works as it should until then. We got Eleanor from Pasolivo. It sounds like you got a lot more than just olive oil in those four walls. What else you got going on there? Uh, we've got local balsamics and vinegars. We've got locally pulled together seasonings. We've got soaps and lotions with our uh, extra virgin olive oil in them. We've got local pasta from Eto. We've just, I mean, we've got tapenades. We've got mustards. It you can come in and do a full-blown, like you said, gift baskets, um, anything for the holidays, any gifting like that. You know, obviously, a lot of people say, no, I'm not gifting them. This is all for me. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> gifts. You said anything about gifts. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> where can people taste, and do you need an appointment, Eleanor? So we have our ranch, and that's where all the magic happens, and that's at 8530 Vineyard Drive in Paso. And then we also have our downtown tasting room, and that's 1229 Park Street. So either one of those locations. And, you know, if, if it's during the weekend, give us a call ahead of time so we're prepared and we will welcome you in and get you your table. It will already be all set up for you. Um, but if you do manage to have, you know, maybe 30, 45 minutes you know, extra on your schedule, swing in. We will make you work. Okay. Are there such things? I mean, look, obviously the winery's got their wine clubs. Is there such a thing as a olive oil club? Uh, we have the most amazing olive oil club because it's wow. not just olive oil. It's gourmet food. So you join the club and you get a discount on pretty much everything in store and online. And you get a recipe book as a thank you for joining. And that recipe book keeps growing because every shipment you get new recipes. And you can build your own. You can customize your shipment. You could ship it to yourself. You could ship it to a friend as a gift. So it can be everything from soaps and lotions and tea towels 
or our oils and vinegars and seasonings. It can be pretty much anything you see and whatever you would like to pull together. So your whole kitchen can be set up and it's every couple months. So it's not overwhelming. It's a really fun club to be part of. Our pickup parties are amazing. Eleanor Bastis is from Paso Livo. Check them out online, Paso Livo, P-A-S-O-L-I-V-O.com. Like she said, two locations, one downtown Paso, not far from the square, and then on Vineyard Drive. So you're sandwiched between all these great wineries. And don't be, uh, look, I mean, you know, you're doing some wine tasting out there on Vineyard Drive. Make an olive oil, one of your stops, and might be a little break, and then kind of coach you up for the next one, yeah? Absolutely. We're ready for you. Hopefully you get a chance to see Eleanor. She is out of either one of those locations. She does a lot of the virtual tasting, things like that. So hopefully you run into her. Eleanor, you've been such a pleasure to talk to. Can't wait to see you again. And thanks for sharing where wine takes you, or in this case, where olive oil takes you. Absolutely. They go hand in hand. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Adam. Check out both their locations on Vineyard Drive in Wine Country on the west side and downtown right near the park. Paso Livo, P-A-S-O-L-I-V-O, PasoLivo.com. Wow, what a show. Like I teased earlier, the next episode of Where Wine Takes You, Jason Haas of Tablas Creek and wine writer R.H. Drexel. I could not be more excited. Enjoy them both. It's going to be a fun, fun show. Don't miss it. Where Wine Takes You is executive produced by Joel Peterson and Paso Wine. Associate producer is Jen Bravo. Many thanks to Jamie Guzman for fulfillment. The podcast is recorded, edited, and produced by yours truly. Original music on the podcast, Moonshiner Collective, their song Good Company, and all their music available wherever you stream your music and at moonshinercollective.com. Equipment transport and technical consideration provided by Fly With Wine. Flywithwine.com for more. And next time you are cruising around the Central Coast, you can tune me in on your radio, my morning show, Up and Adam in the Morning. Heard weekday mornings, 6 to 10 a.m. on the Crush 925. Crush with a K, K R U S H 925.com is the website. Crush925.com. Of course, we also got a free app in your smartphone. Now, speaking of free apps, I mentioned it earlier. Paso Wine's got a brand new app. It's in your app store. Just search for Paso Wine. It's incredible. Like, I was going over it. I was thrilled that you can, like, just go, oh, I want pet friendly. I want this. I want that. The, the filter options are remarkable. You can pick, oh, I want to taste in the Templeton Gap at a place that's open on Sundays and that, you know, whatever. Like, you you could dial it in. Seriously, the Paso Wine app is brand new. It's super easy to check out and navigate through. It's intuitive. And best of all, it's completely free. So download it. Catch up with us in your app store, the brand new Paso Wine app. Don't forget, before your next trip to Paso, visit PasoWine.com. Also, man, hit up that app on your way up here. Make sure that's downloaded into your smartphone. And follow Paso Wine on your socials at Paso Wine. Thank you so much for connecting with us again and jumping on board with the winemaking, the shared stories, and the captivating essence of Paso Wine Country. I am your host, Adam Montiel. Lift that glass up high. Cheers to a little bit more summer left and the uncharted paths where wine takes you. And give me that sound goodbye. We pass on down till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify on good comp. Give me that sound goodbye. We pass on down till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify on good comp. Give me that sound goodbye. We pass on down till the job is camped out in the trees. 
camped out in the trees You will simplify in good company With that moonshine we'll get by We pass all around till the job is dry Camped out in the trees You will simplify in good company, good company.